welcome to Real Talk. Real Talk is about real conversations with real people regarding diversity in higher education. I am your co-host, Jamil Harp, a student activist. And I'm Casey Counselor, a professor in the Communication, Media, and Screen Studies Department at Southern Connecticut State University. All right, Jamil, let's go. Hello, welcome back. So Casey, how are you? Jamil, I'm doing great. And I'm excited about this chat we're having today talking about queerness, LGBT, life in higher ed at Southern. Um, We have a whole lot to say about this. Very much. I know previously on the podcast, we talked about what it's like to be Black in higher education, but we are not singular identities. We are a complex mesh of many different things. And so today we're going to be talking about how does queerness show up in higher education? How does that impact us while we're doing this work? What work is left to come to possibly? And just really chatting with you all about our own experiences in higher education in terms of our queerness and maybe our other identities and how does that show up while we're doing this work? And we have with us today, um, Andrina, who is a first year, right? I always think you should be a senior by now. First year student um, who uh, seems like a junior, the way you walk around at least. Um, Also joining us in this conversation. So welcome. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, everyone. Very pleased to be here talking to you both. Very excited for this conversation about queerness. Also important to know, Adriana has been a huge part of the making of this podcast. So even Mm -hmm. though she is a first year student, she's extremely involved already in her community at CSU during a pandemic. So kudos to you for being super involved and helping us behind the scenes. So let's kind of just jump into this, right? So I am gay. My name is Jamel. I'm gay. Um, That's my identity here. And so let's talk about more how these identities show up in the classroom. Yeah, well, I mean, as a professor who's in the classroom all the time, online, you know, or in person, I think I talked about in the first episode, I come out all the time. I mean, I come out on the first day of class, and then I can tell sometimes that people forget. And I try to bring that back um, because I do have you know, the experience of, of living in the world as a woman and as a, as a feminine blonde lady, and then as a more, as a butch lesbian, visibly queer person. And then now in my trans masculine identity, um, my identity is more hidden. So if I'm not coming out, then people assume that I'm heterosexual, cisgender, been a man all my life. Um, and that's just not, not true to my experience. So I'm always coming out too, because I never had, let me think if I'm lying when I'm saying this, I don't think that I ever had an out gay, lesbian, trans. I don't think I've ever had a queer out teacher or professor until Mm -hmm. graduate school, until grad school, but until then, like through undergrad and public schools. And also I'm older, obviously, than the two of you. So we didn't have GSAs either. Um, So the visibility piece for folks to be able to say like, oh, here's this person in a position of quasi authority um, who is part of the LGBT community. And and so that students feel like a a little safer, at least in the space of my classroom. Um, But honestly, I don't, I'm always asking students, what is it like for you? 
on campus um, because you have a very different experience than what I see from my faculty side. Yeah, at least from my experience, I actually did. I was like fortunate enough to have a, a queer professor my first semester of, of college. Then I'm also taking another class with him this semester just because I really liked him. And he was my sociology professor. And he was like openly gay. I think just having an openly, openly gay professor for me was just very impactful, very like empowering, I would say. I kind of felt like I didn't have to hold back on my own experiences, my own identity hmm. as a bisexual woman, just because I came out a year ago, pretty much. And since then I've gone through like this whole queer journey, <laughs> like self-discovery. And I think what I like most about that journey is just that it's just never ending. Like, even if this is my identity right now, I mean, it could change in the future and I'm like, okay with that. Like I'm okay to not having like the answers to all these questions of who I am because I'll end up finding out sometime in the future. And even then that answer could change. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with where I am now in my queerness and having that professor was very nice. That's such a good point about, you know, like around 18, 19, um, if not sooner, but definitely like when folks are going to college, like you're exploring a lot of different things in your life. And certainly for me, it wasn't until I was leaving home that I started to realize like, oh, okay, there's something else going on here. But it took sort of that, that step um, and a lot of folks are in that kind of space uh, when they're first starting school, no matter what age it is. Um, but Andrina, I'm curious, how did your professor come out? And you said that you felt like you didn't have to hold back parts of your identity, but how did he work that into the conversation with your class? I think he just opened up like the first lecture with, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect way to do it. Really you know? open about it. Like he didn't even hold back on it. He's just like, yeah, I'm gay. And at least in the course that I'm taking with him right now, which is like sociology of sports, mm. he's, oh, by the way, Professor Mark Ogilvy is shout the out. I'm referring to. Yeah, shout out to him. Yeah. And right now he also goes by like Professor Frog. I've never really asked about that, but he has like a little icon in the corner of his presentations where it's like a frog and then the background is like, the pride flag. So he's like extremely open about it. And just the way that he starts every class, this one, and then the last one, I remember he just opens it up with saying that he's gay. Right. And normalizing the, his identity, not hiding it, not making it into a big thing. Just it is what it is. I like your point about visibility. I have had two gay professors within college that were out and open, both wonderful experiences. But because I came out at around 13, 14-ish, the time frame's a little weird for me. None of my none of my teachers, I should say, in high school were openly queer, any of them. And especially going to public school. And I, I went to Bridgeport. I went to school in Bridgeport. I went to Central High School. Um, so going to school in that kind of environment, there were not many people that were openly out, right? It necessarily it's the safest thing to be openly out. And so there weren't that many other queer people I knew besides myself. And so I would say my journey during self-discovery and then learning how sexu um, sexuality is more of a spectrum than anything um, has really changed throughout the years of how I define myself and how my experiences and how I can like make sense of them. 
But yeah, visibility poppy would have been really helpful, especially at that age uh, when I was coming out um, and then going through that process. And we did have a GSA. I was president of GSA my junior year of high school. <laughs> I believe we started the GSA. And one of the reasons we started the GSA and I helped start that was because I noticed I was not being bullied for my sexuality because of the people I knew and the way I carried myself. And in high school, I was a little intimidating, I would say. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't too kind to bullying. I experienced bullying for my sexuality a tad in middle school before I even knew what my sexuality was, which I think is very interesting. People yep. assuming what you are before Absolutely. you even know what you are yourself. And they might be wrong. Very much, mm -hmm. um, especially at such a young age when you're not really concerned with dating or sex or who you want to love and all those kind of things. You just are existing in your true itself. But I suppose at that age, that was too much for people to handle. Um, so that was kind of why we created GSA to give people that wanted to come out a safe space and provide resources. It was actually something pretty remarkable. But in terms of visibility, that's extremely important when we think about higher ed. How are our students' identities showing up in our faculty? How is that showing up in our staffs? How are we making sure our students are queer students? You know, our students that are queer and people of color have mentors that they can look up to that share these experiences with them as they can walk through and talk through their feelings, their thoughts, their anxieties. They can teach them and tell them about that process, things to avoid, how to keep yourself safe. Um, because we all know queerness is not always something that is safe to do and be. Right. So Jamil, let me ask you a question back about um, high school. Who did you find to sponsor that club? It was our English teacher. It was our English teacher, Miss Axe, actually, I recall her name. And nor do I recall how that really even happened. I believe she asked me, because there wasn't many openly um, gay people in my school. I can think of four. Mm -hmm. So she asked me, and I was like, oh, of course, why not? And it was something we just did. And quite frankly, um, it was pretty positive for the most part. We would meet after school, and we would do presentations and resources. But I do recall once there was a student who just came to our school who stood outside the classroom like, oh, no, you have to leave this country. Like, y'all not allowed to be queer. You're not allowed to be out. Um, and I promptly definitely diffused the situation and um, in a lot of different ways. However... It was almost like a protection space, like a space that was directly made to be safe um, away from other students. And I'm really grateful for having that time because I learned about safe sex. I learned about, you know, STDs. I learned about um, and a partner violence at such a young age, which I feel like was really important age for me to learn that at. And I feel like because of the resources and knowledge I gained from that experience, it really set me up for adulthood. So when I'm dating and when I'm looking to date, how I can do so safely, um, been from a um, remarkable experience, I would say. So shout out to Miss Axe. <laughs> yeah. You know, that just makes me think about how, I mean, even if Miss Axe was not openly queer, maybe just an ally, but that, and I'd, I'm curious if you all experienced the world in this way, but I certainly 
go through life, you know, you're constantly looking for signals of safety. Like, am mm-hmm. I going to be safe here? Am I safe with this person? Um, and highly attuned to that, um, to little signals that people might give. Um, oh, yes. Right? So there must have been something that she was doing that created that that space and that sense of safety for you. Um, but Andrina, it's, this is such a weird time with the pandemic, but as a newer student, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, welcoming spaces or what are you noticing about our environment on campus? Well, I'm definitely noticing that although, you know, Southern can't be at its full capacity right now, I definitely still see that Southern is like very lively. And at least there's a lot of virtual opportunities for students to get involved and have that same sense of community, although socially distanced. But yeah, I definitely feel like Southern is very welcoming in my opinion, just because I was able to get involved. And just like every student, I encourage them to get involved so that you could feel that sense of community. You could really feel welcomed because especially with COVID, I kind of felt like it'd be difficult for me to meet other people and make friends. But I see that a lot less my reality now, just because with my position as a diversity peer educator at the Multicultural Center, I see that there's like a bunch of things that students can go to on campus to feel that sense of community and feel welcomed. And I would definitely recommend that students take advantage of those opportunities and those offices, especially the Multicultural Center, just because everyone's very nice. And yeah. I I will also go on to actually start naming some of those resources, right? So we do have the SAGE Center on campus, which is located in the Dante Student Center, which I know is a safe space for queer students to go and gather and to mm-hmm. find resources. Also in terms of living on campus, if you need gender neutral housing, we do offer that. So that is, a, that is a thing you can get on campus. So if that's something you're concerned about or you would like more information about, I would definitely check our website, the Residence Life website. You can call the front office and they can connect you into that process. So I will say that. And adding to creating these spaces that are more queer friendly, I think something that we don't think about often is student representation, right? Like, who are your RAs? Who are your OAs? Who's on SGA? Who's on these large platforms on campus? And my experience as an RA being openly gay has been really nice because I have seen so many other queer students that would come into my building. And while I'm sitting at the front desk, you know, working a DA shift, working from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. They come up to me to talk to me about a problem they're having in the classroom with a professor that doesn't respect their identity. You know, they're talking to me about, you know, maybe they're having some type of anxiety around living with a roommate that's not queer. And maybe that roommate is also coming to me and telling me that they have anxieties about having a queer roommate. And so when we're in these roles, we have the privilege of educating our community, right? From both sides, talking about why you should ease your anxieties for living with someone that's queer and how can we make you feel safe in that environment um, and vice versa. We can run programs that are queer friendly. You can have educational boards that are talking about queer history. And so, especially for our students that are queer, I would challenge you all if you can do so safely to try to enter these platforms and these spaces and in these roles to be that representation. So students coming in can feel represented, can feel safe. I know when you are 
walking in a room and you finally see someone else that is queer, like it's like, oh, thank God. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one here. Oh, someone else knows what's going on. Someone else knows what's going on. Yeah. And Jamil, um, that also makes me think about, I don't know what to call it. It's like a, a, a grapevine, like a queer grapevine, but it's like people know you and then they know like that they can come find you, but like word just gets out. And I've talked to so many people, like, you know, even to doctors, we're like, I do not know how all of these trans people are finding me. I'm like, well, that's our secret network, you know? Like, mm -hmm. we talk to each other and, and, and share resources and talk about our experiences and, and places where we feel supported and not. Um, and what a difference that makes for those students to have you there. And you're right, it's so satisfying. That's one of my favorite parts um, of my job, really is knowing that I can provide that space for students and especially, you know, having hearing from students after they graduate um, who have come out, you know, as trans and are so excited about it and can't wait to tell me. Um, so I love that I get to have some little part in, in their, you know, coming into who they are. Yeah, it's the community. It's almost like the hidden community amongst mm -hmm. SCSU, where it's like we're all linked in some kind of way, um, even those that may not be openly out, you know, talking talking others through that process, right? Answering their, those questions, because I've been out for quite some time, even though I'm, I'm not that old, um, but I've been out for quite some time. So I have found the answers to many introductory questions, you know, how can you come out safely? Um, dating apps, all these different experiences that people when they're first coming out want to know. So I think especially finding people that are a little older, a little bit more established in their identities is so important, not just for life, but also our experiences in higher education and how are we keeping students comfortable? How are we keeping students engaged? And also it would be probably really helpful if we educated our entire community around what are these identities? What are pronouns? Why should we use pronouns? How can you ask for someone pronouns nicely, right? What happens when you misgender someone by accident, right? What do you do next? So I think having these conversations about these questions um, mm -hmm. probably be helpful for a guest listening. And also, I mean, I do a lot of, um, like I'm speaking with a parent support group uh, next month from the Yale Gender Program. So these are parents of trans kids. And a lot of folks who are parents, they're like, they know that it's hard to be a trans person. Um, you know, 51% of trans youth uh, consider suicide, mm -hmm. 51%. It's, it's the highest, I think, demographic. Um, and there's so much, you know, we hear constantly about, you know, trans women of color, um, you know, being murdered at these disproportionate rates and unemployment. There's all of these um, really deeply troubling statistics and awful systemic inequalities, you know, that are worse for trans people and particularly trans women of color. So you, you hear all this stuff in the media, like all the time. And a lot of parents of trans kids think, okay, great. So my kid is going to have this horrible life and they're going to suffer and they're never going to find love. They're going to be alone. Um, and their whole life's going to be a tragedy. Yeah. And what a bummer. So part of what I do is I, I meet with all different kinds of people and groups to be like, look, I'm successful. Very I much. found love. 
I'm alive and functioning. And honestly, just that is a revelation for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's true, you know, for not just for trans identities, but for queer identities. And I think it's important for, yeah, all levels of the community, including people who are, um, you know, friends with folks who are coming out because it's a really fraught time, I think, when folks are coming into their identity and also maybe coming into college, maybe having a roommate. Oh, yes. Oof. I think what you just expressed right there is the essence of why queerness matters currently. Why does it matter in this discussion of diversity in higher education? Because in order to have students that we can educate, that we can keep matriculated, that we can graduate into successful careers. First, we have to make sure that their mental health is great, that they're mm -hmm. great as a person, that they're receiving humanity and dignity at all times. And so learning about these intersections of identities is so important. And Audrina, as a first year student, I'm curious, walking into Southern, not being here previously, during a pandemic, during all these different things, how has that experience been for you here? It's been very different just because I'm not a resident student, I'm a commuter student. So commuting on the train and then having to catch the bus is just like a whole different experience than like actually being a resident. But I would say that my experience like thus far has actually been pretty positive because I was able to meet other people despite being a commuter student and despite all the social distancing and like COVID guidelines. But something that I wish I had explored more at Southern was just the Sage Center. And I believe the club on campus is called Prism. Yes. I really wish I would have, yeah, I really wish I would have had time to like meet and like go to the, like, attend their meetings just because like I wanted to explore more of my queer identity and really be able to learn more about the community just because in high school, it was my senior year too. I had literally just signed up to um, part of like this, I think it's called like Bridges or something. Mm. Through that program, I was able to learn about myself, uh, sexuality, gender, sex, all about that. And I think what was very valuable at that experience is just that I was able to learn about safe sex, specifically for queer people, mm -hmm. which is very valuable since it's not taught in regular health classes. Exactly, yeah. And I just felt like I felt very seen. And I really wish that I could explore that more in, at Southern. And I really hope that in my four years, because I still have time. Like, I to join one of those meetings. I, I really have to, honestly, because I want to meet I want to meet other queer students as well. You have plenty of time to you join. Time. You're talking like you're graduating this year. Right, right. For a second, I thought you was. Um, you have plenty of time to join these spaces and evolve them into something bigger than what you started with. So I would say definitely for that and for any other queer students listening to also join these organizations and make them something in which we can all really benefit from. And I liked how you brought up that queerness is often not brought up in sexual health, you know, K through mm -hmm. 12 or even in college level courses. And many places it's illegal to talk about those topics as a part of sex and health ed. And we have a lot of anti-LGBT laws across the nation in terms of how we talk about that experience in terms of our education. I know Texas has a lot of laws that are against LGBT being taught in education. It has to be taught in very specific, I would say problematic 
ways they're called no um, no promo homo laws sadly um, so there's many of those laws across the country I believe Connecticut don't really have that many or if any at all um, so please don't quote me on that but that's something I think is really relevant to K through 12, right? In terms of higher education and how our teachers prepare to deal with these experiences once they enter the classroom. I will say too that, you know, we have programs in, in social work and nursing and public health and in all of these different sociology, um, all of these different areas where you might study human sexuality um, in addition to like to the humanities. And I will say that um, I've heard from some students that they are often the ones coming up and correcting their professors who are using outdated terms mm -hmm. um, and incorporating outdated readings. So having, and then faculty can be a corrective to that, um, can sit, when they're looking at syllabi as part of the review process to say, oh, actually, you know, here's some feedback. We don't, this is not material that we teach anymore. Um, we don't use the term transgendered for example, mm. um, which is something a student had to, uh, an outspoken student who felt comfortable doing so was having to correct professors. Um, and, you know, we never want to be in that kind of situation. So I think that's where faculty, uh, having queer faculty really matters too, in terms of, you know, the terms are changing relatively quickly these days. Um, yes. You got to stay on top of it. And I often know that because these terms are changing so quickly, it makes some people very uncomfortable. Yes. I, I hear the, what's the need for all these letters? Um, what's this alphabet soup going on? Also that, uh, yeah. I have, I have heard someone take that term and really flip it on its head, calling it the LGBT mafia. Um, I think that's, okay. I, kinda, I really like that term, mm. LGBT mafia. Okay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's not like we're just ganging up and going places together. <laughs> it sounds kind of yeah. empowering. Uh, yeah. But there is, there's a lot of transphobia going on. There is a lot of biphobia in particular. Yes. There's a lot of hesitation towards accepting others. And something in which I see people don't accept, but they don't understand. They don't know people that have these identities. So they're all their stereotypes that come along with when you hear this word, what do you think of? Right. And people make assumptions. Um, I heard a statistic yesterday that I don't remember now, but it was a very high percentage of people who don't think that they have any LGBT coworkers. And the fact of the matter is they most likely do, um, but they, they don't have coworkers who are fitting particular stereotypes mm -hmm. of LGBT people. Um, but I think there's a lot of invisibility for folks too, that if somebody's not flamboyant, um, oh, yeah. or, or looking like the stereotype, talking like the stereotype, then, you know, then they must not be queer. Mm. Uh, I could really relate to that because for some reason, I mean, I don't know if this counts as outing, but it probably does every time, like any, ever since I came out as bisexual, my mom has tried her best to tell all my family members and thankfully they've been accepting about it although some of them aren't aware of my sexuality and i'd rather keep it that way because i don't want to be rejected but like one of my aunts like she constantly says andrina but she doesn't look like it and i'm like how am i supposed to look like like <laughs> am i supposed to like shave my hair so you could think i'm like a lesbian or something i'm, I'm not a lesbian though. i'm like i'm bisexual right. and then a lot of that just with even being bisexual is like oh, but 
which one do you like more mm. equally i don't know some days some days i'm like okay i find women very attractive and then like the other day i'm like oh men are cute too i guess <laughs> but it's like i i don't know how i'm supposed to look like then like how am i supposed to dress and i think part of the reason why my aunt says that is because like i don't dress the way that i i should if i'm gonna be this identity and it's like okay, so then how should I dress? Like, how should I look like then? So you could finally believe me. Like, this is my identity. Like, this is how I come in and I'm not going to change. Very much. I think all of us have experienced exactly what you're describing in some way, yep. shape, or fashion. You know, um, I hear comments like, oh, Jamil can't be gay because Jamil's not creepy. Jamil doesn't try to hit on mm. me. Wow. You know, in reference to straight men. Um, I don't hit on straight men because you're straight. Mm -hmm. um, and just that stereotype of, gay men must be creepy in order to be gay it's problematic deeply deeply uh, deeply problematic or i often hear people go oh is he gay his room is really clean so only gay men can keep rooms that are really clean now <laughs> and so that i guess that just goes to show you how stereotypes can be hurtful to us all right it's limiting when people look at you and expect you to show up as one thing it's limiting to people that are queer it is limiting to people that identify as straight it is limiting in general when you're supposed to be put in this box where you have to be this level of masculine and this level of feminine, right? You're not able to explore those for what you want to explore them to. You're not able to dress the way you want to dress. You're not able to talk the way you want to talk or go to the parties you want to go to the parties for. Um, it's limiting to your identity. And I often find that even straight people struggle with how to be themselves, sure. even though they're straight, because they don't want to be looked at like there's something else. Right. I, I'm just thinking about the the heterosexual guy who's like, but I like to have my stuff clean, you know? Yes. And then, but there is like, there are, you know, I, I think men are actually particularly constrained. Very um, much. With how they're going to, you know, in terms of behavior and dress um, and expectations for how to be a man. Um, I'm personally invested in expanding, you know, what masculinity can be. And at the same time, you know, I have frustrations too with my, like Andrina, now I'm in the spot um, in some ways that you are, where I, I used to be visibly queer. I used to have a look like people expected me to look, which meant that I didn't have to come out all the time because my how I looked did it for me. And now it's like, oh man, I really have to use my words. And I no longer, like I have to figure out other ways to signify my identity, otherwise I sort of disappear mm. into it. And so you can't see it now because I'm wearing these enormous headphones, but I have, I wear a, um, a, a moon earring. Cause oh. I'm like thinking someone is looking for a sign and I wear it on the, on the gay side. Someone who's looking for a sign, they're gonna be like, what kind of straight guy wears a moon earring? But, and that's like a teeny tiny thing, but I also have friends who are like, why don't you, fay it up a little why don't you like be more feminine be more ambiguous and and honestly this is who i this is how i feel comfortable being how i feel most myself right so i feel like you andrina in that case like I, I could perform otherwise but actually this is the truest expression of myself right now and i could change i it could yeah change. i feel like for me i know how you mentioned the moon earring is how you try to like be like yeah i'm queer <laughs> Oh, also, you should see, my, you should see my office too. You should see my <laughs> lovely office. office when we can do that. 
Mm-hmm. Very like, queer. For me, like I have pride pins on my backpack so that when I'm walking around yeah. campus, if someone like sees it and because I, I guess I don't look um, queer enough. So I look pretty straight passing. I at least want people to look at my backpack and be like, oh, OK. <laughs> and even in class discussions, like whenever the topic of like LGBT or queerness comes up, especially in my sociology class, I always try to mention that I'm bisexual just because like I want people to know and I'm also like proud of myself too. And I feel like it's not something I want to hide anymore. I'm just like very proud of it. I remember when I first came out, I was really like hiding it a lot, but now I'm just like so open about it that I want people to know. And like I wear those pride pins on my backpack because I want them to know. And that creates so much space for other people. You're doing that. You too, Jamel. I think it's so interesting. Like, I didn't own a pride flag until, like, last year. Not even last year. Maybe six months ago until um, a resident gave me one. Didn't own one previous. Um, Nor do I think I walk around with, like, intentional signals. But I think my personality Mm -hmm. is intentional and, like, radical enough where people can kind of just point me out. Um, I'm not sure if people see me on campus during the wintertime, but you know, big blue fur coat, walking oh, yes. around with iced coffee. I don't know. I feel like you could cut it. And a nice oh bag. yeah. A nice little briefcase. I feel like you can catch me out. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, that's really interesting. Having those intentional signals to others. Now that I'm thinking about it, Jamil, I feel like our relationship has been very like seamless. Like that we just sort of jumped into conversations, but we would never had like a formal introduction of identities or oh, yeah. Well you know you just know. Right. You know you just know. And often too, I feel like I come out all the time. Um because every time you meet new people, that's kind of when you that's have right. to do it, right? When you enter new spaces, new jobs, um, new friend circles, it's kind of something that's expected of you. I also hate the term coming out in general because I just think it's and accurate and comes with a lot of assumptions about what that experience is like. First, I'm really sick of Hollywood and how every movie that is queer, they center it around the coming out process. Right. Um, My coming out process, I would say, is a lot better than most people. However, in terms of my entire queer identity, the coming out process is a very small portion of that story. And also doesn't happen once. It happens all throughout my life, every day. And also, I don't like the term coming out because it sounds like you're intentionally hiding. Like some people wait, you know, until it's safe, until they feel Mm -hmm. it's appropriate. I don't think it's hiding because you don't want to tell your sexuality. I don't think it's really other people's business all the time. You know, a lot of times people feel entitled to know you. Right. And to know that fun fact about you and which we don't expect from our counterparts. Um, I like the term coming in, you know, or letting other people into ourselves on a deeper level. I think it's kind of more accurate on terms of what that experience is actually like. And there are ways that that people, some people ask really intrusive questions also. And, you know, that's not general. We don't typically meet someone and ask about their genitalia or ask who they or sleep what with. positions That's they usually, play in bed. You know, typically, right. right. Exactly. Typically not something that is okay unless we're dealing with um, LGBT people. And, um, you know, I appreciate that folks are curious about stuff, but 
that's also quite an odd thing. Mm. Yeah, and I'm really glad that, Jamil, that you mentioned that about how this shouldn't really be a coming out thing. It should be like a coming in type of process because at least my my best friend, he's not really open about his sexuality, but he knows what he is. And what's fascinating about that is when I ask him, like, if you ever plan, like, do you ever plan on coming out to your parents? And he's like, well, they should already know. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that just because like, <laughs> like I don't see straight people coming out as straight. So then it's like, why do we as queer people have to come out the closet? And it's just like such a weird type of experience because we should just, I mean, it should just already be a thing, you know, like you shouldn't just assume that every person you see is straight. Right. You should just assume that every person is just a person and whoever they wish to be with isn't really any of your business unless they choose to invite you into that conversation. I feel that. And that's how I treated my coming out process. I came out extremely casually. Like I just mentioned it slightly in a conversation, <laughs> like as casual as you can do it is how I did it. Like, oh yeah, by the way, there's, there's this guy. That's how I mentioned it. That's how I started that conversation. And then when everyone got emotional, I was truly confused. Hmm. I was like, what's going on? I'm not dead. Like, this is just a random fun fact. I always thought of my queerness as just that like that's just my preference that's my sexuality that's what it's just what it is but in terms of how the world views it they view it as such a large deal i -hmm. find you know like oh you have to tell people oh and then when you come out it's like well be be ready to have your dignity questioned be ready to have your humanity questioned be ready to be told all these things that you are not doing right or kicked Uh, out of your house or kicked out your house yeah. Homelessness for LGBT youth in Connecticut is extremely high. Mm-hmm. It is unsafe to do so, right? The violence that happens to people that are queer is real. Um, and so I find it really interesting that people expect you to come out and then also be okay with the consequences of that um, experience. But talking about how this all matters and in terms of higher education, you know, often we find ourselves in classrooms talking about LGBT human rights, you know, or talking about those identities. And when we are in these spaces, sometimes we forget they may be those that are sitting there that hold these identities. And we talk about them in ways in which may be insensitive, which may strip others of their dignity. And so I think if you're listening to this, what you can take away from this conversation is, regardless of people's identities, to treat them first with dignity, right? And then if you do not know much about a person's identity, maybe you can ask them a few questions, but let's not ask them 25,000. Mm-mm. Let's do a little Googling, right? Let's, let's do, do a little, little Googling. Googling. Let's not ask trans people their genitalia. Let's not ask people that are gay males what position you have in bed so you can compare them to feminine and masculine, trying to make a heteronormative relationship out of that. Um, it's not. It's just a different kind of relationship. So I think it's about people doing their research, right? Doing your homework. What does that mean? It means Googling. <laughs> Right, conducting research maybe through your department as well that could be helpful, um, and treating others with dignity and respect. Yeah, I mean, I often think about really the one place that would make such a big difference for queer youth and queer people, and like all of these terrible statistics that you can Google. Um, 
what makes the biggest difference is not necessarily even directly impacting those queer folks, but the people around them. Mm -hmm. Um, so family members, classmates, friends, folks in government, um, that changing the water that we're swimming in, that's what is going to make the difference. Um, and I feel, you know, I do feel lucky to be in Connecticut where there are a lot more protections, legal protections. Um, you know, that was when I was looking at where, not just where do I want to work, but where could I actually live, where I could get healthcare, where my partner could, could be. And so, you know, that severely limits places in the United States. So then you think about um, in certain regions where there are queer people and queer students, um, but it's not a place where, let's say, same-sex couples can get healthcare um, or have their kids recognized by the law, where it's really it, like daily life and, and existence is really difficult for LGBT people, you're going to have less of that representation in faculty. Um, so I really, really feel for folks or at, at, at um, religious schools. Oh, yeah. Certainly where you wouldn't even get a, hired at all. Like you're explicitly um, not welcome. And I have had professors reach out to me from some of those schools and put me in touch with their students because mm. they're struggling so much and feel so isolated. Um, but they can't leave that institution. But just to have some connection to somebody who is a professor uh, half the country away. Um, and I just realized like what a what a part of my daily life that is to mentor, not just my students, but lots of other kinds of students. And, and that's work that I love to do, but it's also, and it's work that, you know, many um, folks from non-dominant identities do for a lot of students. Um, but that's like the, the invisible second shift. And that's work that we do because it matters to us, but often that isn't compensated or that isn't recognized as part of our job. I feel like it needs to be recognized, especially because when the media and just like people in general who don't have these identities and who aren't allies, who are just like they're confused and they don't understand, like they don't understand why we make our sexuality such a big part of ourselves. Like it's because we have to like fend for ourselves. Like we have to constantly be telling people that we're humans too, that we deserve the same rights that you do. And I think people often ignore that. Like they just look at the world as, oh, well, we're all on this like straight line. Like we're all equal, nothing's bad. Like, no, like these laws exist to protect our rights because we've been discriminated against. Like <laughs> that's why they're in place. And just like, especially like for you, um, Professor Casey, like you did mention about how you're constantly having these conversations and even like mentoring students who are outside of Southern. I think that's so important, but also like why, why are you tasked with that? It's like, we should have more conversations about this. Like there should, I really wish that there was just more opportunities for those students to have those conversations with people at their schools, but it's just like so limited because I don't, I don't even know why it's limited, honestly. It's just, we need to have these more conversations so that like our sexuality, our identities as like queer people can just be normalized because that way people wouldn't have to come out if we constantly have these conversations because it'd be just as normal as being straight where like you no longer have to assume that that person you look at is straight and then that person never has to come out unless they welcome you in. So like Jamil had mentioned earlier, coming in rather than coming out. 
I think that's its own episode right there. Coming oh, yeah. in. Coming in. Coming in. Coming in. Mm-hmm. A paradigm well, shift. I-, I love that entire statement, quite frankly, because often we we put the burden on the oppressed mm-hmm. to fix the work of the oppressor, to change hearts and minds, to educate. We put that entire burden on whatever community we're talking about in order to fix that issue somehow. Instead of saying, you know, those that are not experiencing that oppression, that trauma, those experiences. Um, and mind you, being queer is not all that bad, right? There's many <laughs> wonderful and lovely experiences. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, but by other people not intentionally thinking about how can I impact this issue? How can I impact this community? And also trying to fix an issue in which our entire society is a part of. Um, is something I think we need to have more intentional conversations. Maybe we need 24-hour crisis, you know, intervention officers, you know. Maybe we need um, intentional educational resources on campus. Maybe we need intentional classes around gender and sexuality, which we do have, I'm sure. Sure, we do. Um, But in terms of getting us all into those kind of spaces, um, just being intentional around how we're educating others on this topic. And also, I mean, one thing that I'm really big on is, you know, we're often even the the Trans Day of Remembrance, where we recognize oh, yeah. folks who have been murdered, um, which is very important to do. Is also just spaces of of joy, you know, mm-hmm. because it's true. Like it's not like we're going around suffering all the time. I absolutely love being trans. I wouldn't change it for a second. And I love my community. Um, mm-hmm. It is a resourceful and fun, uh, re- remarkable community. Totally wouldn't change it. And it, it bothers me when we can't do both of those things, both acknowledge the, the harm that happens and the inequity, but also like the magic. So I, I want to see both of those things at the same time. Can we put queer magic on a shirt? I just love that. I'm going to write it down right now. Yes. Oh, I love that. That should be merged. I totally buy that. Um, I, I totally agree. I would never change being gay or try to be something else because it's been a remarkable and I say this all the time when I'm speaking about you know my identity being gay and I used to feel like I didn't have I didn't have the privilege of speaking on gay issues because I have had such a remarkable experience being gay then I told myself all experiences does not have you haven't to be. suffered enough right 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 I don't have to suffer in order to talk about my experience but <laughs> I have had a family that has been almost entirely accepting. I've had friend circles that have been almost entirely accepting. My workplace has been accepting of my identities. And so in general, I have had a very lovely time existing how I want to exist. Um, so I will say that. And I will also say, because you know, being Black and gay, being Black mm-hmm. and queer is such a beauty. You know, you face twice the oppression, but also the resilience in the community. When you're thinking about civil rights activists, when -hmm. you're thinking about people that have pushed for change in all areas, even if they were pushing for change that would not affect them, you go back to Black, queer, and Latino identities and civil rights activists throughout history. At least I could speak on my coming out process. And although it's been like relatively a short time span because I came out over a year ago, I can definitely say it's been a beautiful journey. I think 
just the beginning of it was just very confusing because I didn't really know where I was. And I was also just trying to, well, there's a lot of biphobia like in society in general. So it's always, well, who do you like more? Where do you, where do you land on this spectrum of identities? And for me, I was like really debating myself. What, what if I'm just straight? What if I'm just a lesbian? <laughs> it was just all these like what ifs in my head. But it wasn't until I took that program my senior year of high school where I was able to learn about sexuality, gender, et cetera, where I like really found out that like it's okay to not know mm -hmm. and it's okay to not have answers to these questions because you have your whole life to explore. And I remember I would constantly ask um, the woman I would meet with, I would be like, well, what if I'm this? What if I'm that? Like, and she would just tell me like, it's okay. Right. Like <laughs> you have your whole life to figure that out. And I think that was like so relaxing. I really needed to hear that because I was having like such an identity crisis because I just wanted to be one thing. I think I was like very envious of my best friend who was able to be gay and he knew for sure that he was gay. And then I was left with this like bisexual identity where it's like, I don't even know what I am. And and I'm not going to say that that goes for every bi person because, I mean, there's a lot of bisexuals who know that they're bisexual. And, like, for me, it's, like, sometimes I'm, like, I don't even know if I'm bi. But, you know, having people around in my life that have also been really accepting has also been a really nice thing because my sister introduced me to the term queer. And at first, I didn't even know what that was. Oh, Casey introduced me <laughs> to the term as well. A big umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, that's what my sister said, too. She was like, it's an umbrella term. And I was like, you know what? I'm queer. But then other days, I'm like, you know, I am bisexual. And I've started to accept that a lot more because it's okay to like both sexes. It's okay to like multiple genders. And sometimes I do think like, oh, maybe I'm pansexual. But, you know, it doesn't even matter anymore. Like, I'm queer and that's all that matters. And if that changes in the near future, then I'm okay with that. It's okay to not have it. It's, I have that same debate in my mind, like once a month. Like, am I really gay? Am I something else? Am I, I think that too. Am I'm I like, pansexual? Am I, trans? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that it you said that. meaning at some point. No, I yeah. truly think that a lot. Like, oh no, am I? I, guess. I love that we all have those questioning thoughts of, hmm, did I come up with the correct answer here? Am I really something else? And sometimes I think it's okay just not having a label on things and mm -hmm. also just picking the label that makes the most sense. You know, this sounds the closest to the experiences in which I'm having and I'm okay with that. And right. understanding everything is a spectrum. But man, people do want to put folks in a box. Very I mean, much. I... I, when I think about non-binary folks, like I'm a binary trans person, meaning that I identify as a man. I use he, him pronouns. I also use they sometimes, um, but mostly like I'm just a dude. And when folks are in that in-between space, whether it's bisexual or non-binary, um, they suffer the most. Uh, and people have the hardest time with that because uh, they don't fit into a box. Um, and refuse to fit into a box. And that, um, you know, when I lived in that ambiguous space for, you know, a number of years, my life was so much, my day-to-day -day life was much harder than it is now because now I fit people's expectations, you know, and I'm married to a cisgender woman who's feminine with long hair. So, you know, societally people are like, ah, yes, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, and I, I hate that we have to like, conform to these types of um, stereotypes, <laughs> to put it simply. Like, I don't want to fit into those stereotypes. And I think people just, 
I really wish people were just like more open to just being open about these things that to have like these conversations like it shouldn't be such a a foreign thing to put it more simply like this is who I am this is who I'm going to be and I'm just like there's just such societal pressure to like it's almost like you're filling out a form for the rest of your life like choose your identity now and then it's never going to change um and if it does change then people around you are going to make your life hard but there's this pressure to like decide who you are and then stick with it and actually i think that's very counter to human nature i mean you see little kids and um depending on how they're raised like kids try on all kinds of identities all kinds of ways of being um and I think the more we have people who are raising kids in that way to, to freely express different ways, um, the better shape we'll be in and the healthier we'll be as a society. But also sexuality and gender presentation, they change for people throughout their life. And you know people can ignore that um, or they can explore it. Yeah, definitely. I think part of the reason why I chose a ma- like to major in sociology was just because I was very interested in the way that my surroundings really impacted who I am. I think that's a lot of what sociology focuses on too. Of course, other aspects of sociology focus on other things, but that's what I was really interested in, like how my surroundings impacted and like influenced who I was. I really wish that I had grown up in a more accepting society because I, I mean, growing up, I actually felt sexually attracted to women so it's like i knew of this like thing inside me but i never knew how to identify it and it was just like really weird for me because i never grew up around queer people i never saw a lesbian and to this day i sometimes still feel like lesbian is like a bad word Mm. to me and i i really hate that but i i wish i had grown up in a society that was just more accepting and like a society that just like didn't really put labels on people and it just kind of let people be that's kind of like what I hoped for. I mean, let's do it. Let's create that. And I also, at the same time, I do, when people are are saying things like, oh, like, let's be beyond gender. I'm like, no, but I really like my gender. I just got it. You know, like, this is something that is deeply meaningful to me. Um, but how can we have that in a way that is joyful and not constraining at the same time? I think a part of that is just allowing people to identify how they want to identify, right? And accepting what people tell you they are. I think often, especially for people that are identified as bisexual, there's like two different experiences that I see happening, right? If you're a bisexual man, often I hear people go, "Mm, you're just gay, right? They just invalidate the whole identity together. Right. Or I hear same thing happens to women, but in reverse, like, oh, you're bisexual. Hmm, are you sure? Maybe maybe you're just, you know, having these crazy times. Maybe you're just a little curious, but you're straight. Right. You're going to you're going to marry a man. Right. Um, going back just to the phase, that, the phase, just the phase. Yeah. It really makes me wonder why society always has to revolve around men. Like I can't like yes. a woman too. Like, cause then you see that trend, like you said, for bisexual men where it's like, oh, you're just gay. And then for women, it, oh, you're probably not even like, you don't like girls. You probably just like men. And it's like, why does my whole world, my whole existence have to revolve around men? Like, I can't just exist. 
<laughs> I can't just love whoever I want to love. And you know what? I'm going to give our listeners a direct example of what does biphobia even look like, right? In a conversation, typically, right? People be like, oh, I don't want to date bisexual men because that means there's more people for them to cheat on me with. I double, hear double that. the number, double. Double the number. I hear that often when in terms of especially speaking about bisexual men. That is a stereotype. That is an assumption you created in your mind that has nothing to do with the person you're talking about. That right there is biphobia, right? Or I often hear, you know, um, I won't date bisexual men because they're unclean. They're, you know, they have been with other men. So there's an issue with that. That is also a problem that like is a also biphobic, a lack right. of trust. Also, it plays into like if you sleep with the idea that you sleep with men, you somehow have STIs and things of this nature. You're somehow dirty. It plays into that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I've watched people do this often and not even realizing that their comments are biphobic or that their way of thinking is based on stereotypes and assumptions about the other person and not of how that person has shown up to you. And what the, like the impact of that, it's huge. So it means that, that folks learn really fast. Like if you do feel like you're bisexual, you learn that that's a bad thing to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that it makes your life harder. So then you have a few different responses, either like you deal with all of this shame that's coming at you um, that you've probably also internalized, or like you just shove that part down because people keep, you know, giving you a hard time. Um, so that kind of reaction really, I think, squashes folks, um, you know, identities and who they are, um, their freedom of, of expression. Definitely. And I definitely coming out, I felt like I had a lot of internalized biphobia, mm. even like before then, I felt myself being like, I don't know if it's like a, a term or not, lesbian phobic, homophobic, like, I used to be that person that's like, oh, she she likes girls, Ugh, I hope she doesn't have a crush on me, though. I mean, now I kind of hope they do, but... <laughs> Like, I used to be that person, and it's, like, all this, like, internalized homophobia. I I couldn't even accept myself. And it's, like, literally growing up, I knew I had this attraction towards girls, but I never really knew how to express that. And then, for some reason, it just kind of, like, went away. I think I pushed it back so hard that, like, I just didn't even know it was there until senior year of high school where I was, like, starting to guess a lot more. And then I was finally open to telling my friends. And then... Here I am. Let me let me tell you all some uh, quick story. So I also like it's like you don't have language for something and you don't have an example. Um, So you don't like you may have like a vague sense like that you're different. So I used to Jamil seen the pictures. I used to be uh, like sporty, feminine, blonde person. And then when I went off to college, I was like, I did have this sense of like, I know that I'm different, but I honestly I had no idea. Now I'm like, oh, duh. But I was like, okay, so I'm going to wear combat boots and I'm going to wear a long skirt and a puffy vest. This is 1999. And I'm going to smoke a pipe, a tobacco pipe. I'm going to walk around campus with this long blonde hair wearing combat boots and smoking an old man pipe. As you should. Go off. You know, which I also actually didn't like. (laughs) You know, they're kind of nasty. But I I was like... I was like, I know that I'm different. Like, maybe this is what it is. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't for like another, actually, you know what, what it was for me. And this was, you know, coming t- into my identity as a, 
lesbian. It was that there was a, a lesbian slam poet who visited campus. And when I saw her perform and like, you know, her poetry, what she's talking about and just how she dressed, uh, short, spiky hair, she was real cute. And I, that's the moment that had it all click for me. But it was not until that moment. And I was 19 years old, 18 years old. Um, but it, like, if I had seen examples earlier, I would have been able to come to that sooner. But instead I had this really kind of weird journey of combat boots and tobacco pipes before realizing, you know, actually who I am. I think we all go to those times where we have these weird identities we came up with while we're searching for our mm -hmm. true one. And I write in my journals, like I ain't gay, you know, but I was and am, mm. you know. Mm. All right, y'all. Which makes it like so important for us to have representation in higher education. For sure. Like, having that gay professor for me, like was just so liberating. I was like, okay, I could be mm -hmm. myself. And all right, so we, we have to wrap up this conversation for today. Um, but I, I love how sort of different and also similar our stories are. So thank you all. Such a pleasure. Yes, this was a very great conversation around just the journey of queerness. What does it mean to be queer in higher education? And just discussing as we kind of processing our thoughts about our identities in terms of what does it mean for us in general? And how can we make and reimagine higher education? I think this has been an extremely powerful conversation. Yeah, I'm so happy to have been a part of Thanks this. Thanks for joining us. And now you have to go off to class, huh? Yep. That's what it's all about, queer and higher ed. Always got to run to class. So, as long as we're still here. <laughs> well, all right, this has been great. We see you guys on the next episode. That's right. <laughs>